hear the word of God. But some man, men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem and the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent underway by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party and the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order for them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know in the early day God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit as he had done to us, and he made no distinction among us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related the signs and wonders God had done to them through the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God has visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and, it will, and I will restore it. Then the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled from the blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Father, for the disciples who've gone out, Lord, to proclaim your word, Lord, amongst the Jews and the Gentiles. Lord, uh, I pray for this service this morning. Pray for Ryan as he proclaims God's word, that his words would be of you, Father, guided from the Holy Spirit. Lord, pray that you would open our hearts to the truths of the gospel. Lord, uh, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're in this series where we're going through the book of Acts, preaching it, learning about the story of how the Holy Spirit worked through the church to plant the church and to see the gospel advance to the ends of the earth. And uh, today we're coming up on this, this scene in Acts chapter 15, 
uh, where there's this kind of town hall meeting, the Jerusalem Council, where things have to be settled about what the gospel is and what its implications are for living. Now, before we get to that, I think the best way to describe what we're seeing in Acts 15 is to think of it in terms of drifting uh, away when you're in the water or in terms of a current in a stream. Let me explain this. I was just talking with Neil Gilmore over here, and he said, hey, listen, I completely get what you're talking about. I was just at the, at the ocean last week, and I got taken by a riptide, and I was, lit- I was clawing my fingers into the sand so that I could get back up on the beach. Anybody had a situation like that before? The riptide it begins to take you. Well, Megan and I had a situation like that, but it was in a river, not in the ocean. Uh, last year, uh, we were la- here, here's how the scene goes. We were lazily... Uh, shooting the hooch. And now, some of you will know what that means. My Philippine f- friends, you're going to think this might be the strangest thing in the world, okay? But here's what we do in Georgia. We go up to the river, and we get an inner tube, and we ride down it on the inner tube. So that's kind of what we do. And, and it's called the Chattahoochee River, and because that's a strange name, we, we say we're shooting the hooch. So we were shooting the hooch. We decided to put in up in Helen. And so we got those hideous pink tubes that, that no one would want to take home. And we, we got our family situated on the tube, and we're going for this, I think it's about a, a two-hour trip down the, the stream, and, and you know, we're, we're floating through the mountains on the river, and we're, you know, splashing each other, we're, we're getting out and walking with the tubes because you're scooting down the rocks in some of the parts of that, that's not as fun, and we're just having a great old time. Um, and, and we were relaxed and really unaware of the surroundings, uh, of our surroundings, and and. And uh, what, what began to happen is we, we took this turn, the, the river bended, it, it, it was in a bend and it went around a turn, and, and all of a sudden we, we couldn't, we found ourselves in a place where we couldn't stop ourselves. And, uh, and, and as we approached this, this kind of channel that narrowed, there were a bunch of rocks all over the place. Now keep this in mind, it's me and Megan and four kids, Okay. It was ambitious, okay? And so we, we were going down the river, and, and all of a sudden, Megan and Maggie's tube gets wedged in the rocks because of the current of the river. And I'm, I'm holding the boys with this other hand. I've got my tube. I've got them. And then Maggie tips over the edge of the tube and is in the Chattahoochee River. You're not laughing because it was scary, right? You've seen her running around this morning, so you're assuming everything was okay. But literally, guys, it was the, one of the most scariest moments of my life. Here's my little girl falling out of a tube in the Chattahoochee River. And how did that happen? Well, it's because we got caught off guard. We were unaware of what the river was doing. Now, if we would look back, we would, we would have seen the fact that the river was narrowing. And that the, the, the sound of the river, uh, the, the volume was increasing, signifying that there were some rapids ahead. We would have noticed the, the ten or so people that were standing on the side figuring out how they were going to go through there. But because we were unaware, we just blew right through it. The same thing, we have, the, we have a tendency for the same thing to happen in our relationship with God. To get caught up in the drift, to get caught up in the, the rip current, to get caught up in uh, the, 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 the current of the stream, and to get caught off guard when it comes to following Jesus. We have a tendency, church, to become so inoculated with the gospel, the truth of what Jesus has done on behalf of sinners and what it means to follow Jesus, that we begin to distort it and lose its true meaning. This is what was happening in Acts chapter 15. 
And so as we dig into this, I've got, I've got really a big idea that I want to share with you that I think this kind of describes for us. It's this, that we have a tendency to drift when we're not clear about the gospel. You say to drift to what? To drift toward all sorts of things that are not the gospel. To bolt things on, to add things on to the truth about Jesus, and to make it so difficult for others to follow Jesus because we're not following them ourselves. And so what I want to do today is I want to delve into some of those drifts, some of those currents that we tend to get caught up into as we look at, uh, at Acts chapter 15. So, so kind of the structure of the sermon is this. We're, we're talking about moving from unintentional drifts to conscious corrections. So Acts chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 6 here. The first drift is this. We, trip, we drift from the grace of God to the law. We drift from grace to law. And what that means is we drift from bondage, which is what the law leads us to. We drift from freedom to bondage, rather. And so what you see in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, I'll just kind of highlight what we see here. We've already read it. The, the, uh, the Jerusalem church and the, and the, the Pharisees and some of the, the Jewish leaders there were saying, hey, if these guys want to become Christians... They've got, to, they've got to be circumcised. Now, kids, you're going to have to ask your parents about what that means. But um, <laughs> um, you're going to have to add a bunch of things to your life if you want to follow Jesus. You've got to become like us if you want to follow Jesus. And he says, you know, in, in, in verse 6, it is necessary to circumcise them in order for them to keep the, the law of Moses. And, and the apostles... And the elders were gathered together to, to consider this. Because they've said, you can't be saved, 15.1, 15, you can't be saved unless you, unless you do this. And so, um, you know, one of the things to consider here is this, is that, you know, the law, is a, the law of God is a very kind of complex and big subject to talk about. I'm not going to go into all of it today. But what I do want you to know is this, is that uh, we need to look at the overall purpose of, of the law in the history of God's people. Now, it was given when God's people uh, were running off the rails, right? Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. He, he comes down with some direction of God's purpose and God's plan in the world for his people. Now, it, it's predominantly put in place to show the external requirements of what it takes to be righteous before God on our own. What would it take for you and for me to be one with God on our own? And so... The Jewish people are about this. Now, there's the, there's the moral law. You've got the Ten Commandments. But there's also the ceremonial law that has 613 commandments that are in place to help set the people of Israel apart. Now, this group of, of uh, Pharisees is kind of tempted to believe that because they follow certain parts of the law better than others, that they're better than others. And so what they intend to do is to try to make other people like them. But when Jesus came... He said, I've come uh, not to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. So this is the piece that the Jerusalem church was missing. That, that, that God's not saying, hey, circumcision and all that doesn't matter. All the ceremonial food laws, they don't matter. What he's saying is that they've all been fulfilled in Jesus because their purpose was to bring you back to God, to show you the way to God, and to ultimately show you that you can't do it on your own, to ultimately crush you. So that's what the law of God does. You can read about it in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Um, those are the, the, Leviticus is usually the part of the Bible when we're, we've started our New Year reading plan that we kind of get stalled out in. Anybody else? 
You start reading, you're like, man, there's a lot of laws, right? And so that's, that's really important because that was put in place to show us what it would take to get to God on our own. Now, you and I discover the same thing that these Gentile converts discover, that we cannot make it on our own. So how did they, how did they forget the gospel? This church had, had known the gospel They had known the truth that Jesus is the one that fills the gap for us. Jesus is the one that carries us to the Father. It's Jesus' work, not our work, that makes us righteous. How did they forget that? Well, here's how I think they forgot it. And this is adapted from a book I read a couple years ago called Marks of the Messenger by Max Stiles. And and it's really four things. It's this. First, they received the gospel. So they, 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 they had heard about Jesus as the Messiah. They received him by faith. They believed upon it. They were desperate for God in a season. And then they begin to assume the gospel. So, so what happens when we assume the gospel? It, it's, it's when we begin to, to look at our lives and the things that God is producing through the Spirit in our lives. And, and, and we begin to start thinking that we're doing a little more than we are. We begin to start thinking that, hey... I'm doing pretty good on this Christian walk. And so we begin to assume that God is not actually empowering that, but it's actually me that's doing the work. I'm the one that's obeying mom and dad. You know, I'm the one that's given more generously than anyone else. I'm the one that's knocking it out of the park when it comes to righteousness. It's all me. And so they begin to assume it. And, and when you begin to assume the gospel, you, forget, you begin to forget the gospel because what happens next is the gospel is confused. So the truth of the gospel is that when we were at our worst, God gave his best. But but what happens when we begin to walk with God is we drift toward this idea that we're better than we really are. That there was something in us that, 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 that made God choose us. But the truth of the gospel is Romans 5.8. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. That's an active verb. Still sinning. And that's the truth about what Jesus does for us. You think about your life, you think about the things that you've blown it on, even this week if you're like me. God knew all of that. He wasn't waiting for you to get perfect to send Jesus for you. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. And so we, we receive it, we assume it, and then we begin to confuse it. And when we confuse it, we start bolting on other things to the gospel to, to, to get a security in our salvation. We start thinking, man, I've got five out of seven quiet times this week. That's pretty good. God should be happy with me. You know, we start, we start thinking, you know, I've given a little more this year than I did last year. God should be pretty proud of that. I'm going on a mission trip this week. God should be really happy with me. All those things are great things that the Holy Spirit empowers. But when we begin to think that those are the steps on the ladder, the rungs of the ladder that lead us to God, that's when it gets really confusing. And what happens when the gospel is confused is that it eventually becomes lost. Think about any of the mainline churches that exist today that have lost the gospel. Where did it start to unravel? It started to unravel when they lost the clarity of the truth of God's Word. That's where the wheels start falling off. And the same thing happens in our lives when we start bolting on things in Jesus' name to our lives. It becomes a faithless, graceless, crossless Christianity, which is no Christianity at all. We've got to keep coming back to the truth of the gospel. So, so what's, let's, let's drill down a little bit here. What's going on in our hearts when we start forgetting the gospel? Now, you, you, can, 
you can kind of do a self-diagnostic on yourself about how you bolt things onto the gospel for your, for your security and your salvation by doing this. Think about the last time that you really blew it and you're really aware that you blew it. You really sinned in your life. What was the first thing that you wanted to run to to justify yourself? So you really blew it. You really did something wrong. You really got caught in your sin. What was the first thing you wanted to run to? That's how you are tempted to drift away from the gospel because the love of God for us is intended that we, the first thing we would run to is Jesus. Jesus is my justification. Jesus is the one who's paid for this. Jesus is the one who's still calling me to himself even though I've blown it. Jesus is the one we run to. So, so what's going on when we do this? Well, the law shows us what it takes to get to God and the gospel shows us how we get there. Listen to this, uh, this quote from a book called Law and Gospel by David Zoll. He says this, We so often approach our faith as it were a call to traverse the distance between man and God. Ensconced even in our language of growing closer to God. To open up again the abyss closed in Jesus Christ, Karl Barth wrote, cannot be our task. There is not distance. Only the God who is in Meister Eckhart's words, nearer to me than I am to myself. Did you catch the drift of that? Every time that we go back to trying to earn our way to God, which is the drift that you will go on when you, start, when you stop becoming clear about the gospel in your own heart, what God's done for you, is that you will try to open up the chasm that exists between you and God again. And you will look at the things that you can do to try to get you there. You'll think, man, I could probably swim there. I'm in pretty good shape. I could traverse the distance. I can make it there. And over and over and over again, we fall short. And that is God's grace to us, proving that we can't make it on our own. And so church, what do you need to know about this? How do we, how do we course correct back to standing on grace alone through faith alone? How do we get back to that place when we start drifting away from the truth of what Jesus has done for us? We've got to keep coming back to grace and realize that there is no gap. There is no distance. When Jesus was on the cross, some of his final words were what? It is, it is finished. Not it has just begun, get to work. It is finished. The chasm is closed. You are one with God through Jesus. And when you let that anthem reign over your heart and through your life, you have tremendous joy because you are living truly by faith alone. And that's what God intends us for us to do. Let, let this truth from uh, Romans chapter 8 wash over you. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Did you hear that? How can you be more than a conqueror? A conqueror is a pretty, it's a pretty astounding thing, right? You're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, church, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no distance. We've got to keep coming back to Jesus especially in the moments that we blow it and in the moments that we think we're knocking it out of the park. Because those are the moments that the enemy likes to set a hook in our mouths to think that it's up to us. 
And it's not. It's the biggest lie that we'd ever believe. There is no distance if we believe in Jesus by faith. Second drift that we're tempted to is this. From the love of God to the fear of man. Let's look at Acts 15, 7-11 here. And after they had made much debate about the, the issue of circumcision and for these Gentiles to, uh, to have to do that to be saved, Peter stands up and he, and he says to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth of Gentiles you should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Just, just want to throw that out there, Peter said. It's, it's through the mouth of the Gentiles that we're going to hear and believe. Uh, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them. Listen to this, by giving them the same Holy Spirit just as He did to us. So we did all this stuff, and they just received it by faith, and we've got the same Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying here. And He made no distinction between us and them. Why? Having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke, a shackle on the neck of the people that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Why are you putting something on them that we can't even live up to? We've been trying to follow God, you know, for thousands of years as a people, and we've been failing, so why are we going to put the same yoke on them knowing that you can't do it? That's what he's saying here. In other words, there's no way that we could live up to this. Now, I have to imagine that some of these Judaizers and Pharisees here um, saw all of these Gentiles coming to faith uh, that had been living really detestable lives. You know what I mean? Like the, like the people that come to mind when we think, oh, the least and the lost, the really lost people. Like these are the people that were coming into the church, okay? I had to, I had to think that the people who had been trying to follow God their whole life, the Jews, and who had found this Messiah, Jesus, had saw the, all these Gentiles coming in and thinking, man, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. How can they just say, Jesus, forgive me, and be in the same standing with God as we are? Right? I mean, that's what they have to be thinking. Is that not the same thought that crosses your mind sometimes? This isn't fair. I mean, how, how can that guy who's really blown it and made a mess of his life have the same standing before God as I do. Now, you might not acknowledge the fact that you think that, but I know you better than that. You've thought that before. Maybe you've thought that this week. We think the same thing that these Jewish people thought in the church that day. Now, let me say this, and this is really important. Grace isn't fair. Grace isn't fair. You know, that's what the, the, the story of the laborers in the vineyard teaches us. We're going to look at that in just a second. The, the grace isn't fair. Now, we think that we want what is fair. We think that we want all of God's justice to be poured out, right? We, we think that we want that, but you may tell you what that would look like. What is fair is that we all die and are separated from God forever. But, but not only that, we're, we all die and we're separated from God forever, even though we try to please God with everything that we do. Even though we aim our whole life at trying to please God on our own, we still die, and at the end of our lives, we get to this place in front of Jesus, and He says it wasn't enough. That's what's fair. And that's what some people that live around us, are gonna, they're going to live lives that lead to that. Now, it's not the, the path of faith that matters, church. But it's the object of faith. It's the person of faith that matters. It's not how long you've been following Jesus that matters. It's that you're following Jesus that matters. Now, the quicker that we can get this, the more effective we're going to be in Lawrenceville and the ends of the earth. 
Because we're going to see others that are way different than us as having the same kingdom potential as anyone else. I mean, do you think that anyone would ever think that the Apostle Paul would plant the global church? This guy was a guy that was, was promoting stoning, the stoning of Stephen and many others. He was a guy that was so against the church. We must stop comparing ourselves to others and looking for our standing before God to come from what we find from our comparison. And, and, and kids, are you still with me? Are you still with me, kids? That's my son, by the way. That's what I get. What are you going to do? Now, Caden, listen to this. Now, kids, you're going to have a tendency, just like, just like your parents who may have been raised in the church, uh, you're going to have a tendency to be legalistic about your faith. Now, why? Because your parents are trying to raise you up in Jesus now. They're trying to teach you the ways of the truth. And because your parents are raising you to love God at a young age, as you get older, you're going to be tempted to look at other people and think that your faith is more genuine than other people's because you've been walking with God longer. But it's not. That's not something that you can lean on. The fact that you're raised in a Christian home. It's not something that you can lean on. You'll miss so much of God's kingdom if you depend on that. Turn to Matthew 20 with me. This isn't back on the screen, so sorry about this, Julian. Uh, you've got a Bible, crack it open to Matthew chapter 20 or a smartphone. I think this is, um, this is a last-second detour here. A, a good description of an example of how this could happen. So this is the, the, labor, the, the, the parable of the laborers in, in Matthew 20. I'll read it for us here. Listen to that. You guys are actually getting your Bibles out. That's great. I'm going to do this more often. I'm going to put it on the screen. Um, Matthew 20, um, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to read it and just kind of explain it. And what, you, what I want you to listen for is the comparison. And I want you to, to, um, to relate that to how we see ourselves in, in, uh, in our standing before God. For, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius, it's an amount of money uh, a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and, and whatever's right, I'll give you. So they went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. You go into the vineyard too, he said. And when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour, so they had only worked for about an hour, uh, came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, the master, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do 
what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity so the last will be made first and the first will be made last? So what's he saying here? We have a tendency to look at people who have not followed God as long as we have and think that God's grace to them is different than it is to us. And it's a lie. Why? Because the owner, the owner of it all, the owner of all grace through faith that we receive for salvation comes from God. And He gives it to whom He chooses to give it to at the time that He chooses to give it to them. This is why we must live as kingdom people uh, planting seed everywhere we go because we never know when God's going to make it grow. And so we share the gospel with others, not thinking that we are better off than others. So church, how, how do we live this way? We must actually believe that it's God's unmerited favor that makes us special. Nothing else. There's nothing else that makes us special. Just as Peter talked about in Acts 15, 8, and 9, he says this, And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. It doesn't matter how people come to faith. It matters that they do. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God. It matters that you walk with God. The quicker that we can get this, the more quickly we'll take the focus off of ourselves and put it back onto others. Now, there's, comparison has two deadly effects that are negative. Devastating effects in our lives. So when we look at someone else and compare ourselves, there's kind of two ditches we can kind of go in here. The first one is this. is false elevation, otherwise known as pride. We see this in the Jews in the story, don't we? And it says this, look at me. I can't believe what those Gentiles' life is like. It's so messed up. They should be more like me. Now, that sounds like really direct and really polarizing, but when we have pride going on in our hearts, that's what we're believing about others. They should be more like me. And what we're being like is, is the Jewish people, uh, the, the Judaizers, rather, in this scenario. Now, the other ditch that we can jump in is this, this idea of, of a false deprecation or fear. Now, the Gentile people probably would have been tempted to go into this camp whenever the Jews started judging them and trying to make them add to their salvation other works. It says this, oh, look at me, I can never be like them. My life is such a sham. God could never love me. I wish I was someone else. Now, you and I have struggled with both of those extremes. And that's because we'll never be transformed by God's grace by comparing ourselves to others. It'll never give you what you think it will. It'll never give you enough security to think about yourself in a way where you're, where, you're, where you're joyful. It'll rob you from that. It'll never give you what it promises. And this is why Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 15.10, and I want you to think about your journey with God in the same way. No matter where you're at today, some of you just started following God in the last couple months. Some of you aren't following God, but you're really interested. Others of you can't remember a day that you weren't in church. Now, here, here's, here's why I want to address all of you. Because it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 10 says this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's stop. Do you believe that this morning? That it's by God's grace that your story is what it is. By the grace of God, you are what you are. 
Your story has played out the way that it's played out. The hardships that you've experienced, the joys that you've experienced, the blessings, the sufferings that you've experienced, it's by the grace of God that you are where you are and that you, that you, that you am what you am. <laughs> it's by God's grace. And so for us to look at our stories and wish we were someone else or think others should be like us, circumvents the grace of God in the story of God's people. We'll never be transformed by comparing ourselves to others because it's not the pathway to faith that counts, but the person and object of our faith. Now, lastly, our last drift we want to we look at is this, is, is from missional living to self-centeredness. This is what begins to happen um, with, 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 the, with the, the Jewish folks here. Is, uh, the first thing you notice is this, is that this issue is so critical for Paul and Barnabas that what do they do? They say, we've got to leave our, our missionary journey that's incredibly fruitful, that it's exploding all over the world. We've got to leave this for a moment because we've got bigger issues in Jerusalem. So it, it took them off mission to an extent because the grace of God through the gospel wasn't the centerpiece of the church, the sending church, which is where? In Jerusalem. That's where the Holy Spirit fell. That's where God's people were birthed, Christians. So it takes them off of this mission. And a drift uh, from the gospel will, will take you off mission quicker than anything else. It'll, it'll take you straight to yourself. Straight from others. Straight for the, from the mission to yourself. That's where it'll always take you. Back to yourself. And when we drift, we become self-absorbed, self-consumed, and self-focused, insecure people. Now, um, I know that, that some of us really, really struggle with those things, so I don't say that lightly. Um, but but there's, there's a reason why Robert uh, Murray McShane said, for every one look at self, take ten looks at Christ. Because guess what? You have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. It's not about you anymore. And that's the best news I can tell you today. It's, it's not about you anymore. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about His work in the world. And so James, who's the, the bold little brother of Jesus, is pastor in this church in Jerusalem. Now, if, if, if he says anything with conviction, uh, you know it's got to be true because you know how hard it is if you have a little brother to get them to believe anything. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's hard to convince them of anything. And so James pipes up and he says, brothers, listen to me. My judgment is this, we should not trouble the Gentiles who want to turn to God. In other words, why are we trying to make it so difficult for people to turn to Jesus? Can, can, we, can, we, can we, if we get this building, can we just like put that on the wall somewhere? Why are we making it difficult for people to come to Jesus? In, in, our, in our lives, we all have these subtle ways that we do that. The postures that we front, the people that we hang out with, we make it difficult for people to see and, and, and taste that Jesus is good? And um, that's a question that we should ask. Am I making it difficult for people to see Jesus through the way that I live my life? Am I making it difficult for people to follow Jesus through the way um, that I live my life? So, so what does he do in light of this? He, James, he suggests, he says, hey guys, what if we just boil all 613 of these ceremonial laws down to four things? What if we just boil it all down, since really the law is about loving God and loving neighbor, as Jesus said. Let's boil all this down. And basically what, 
what, G, what uh, James said in this were, were, were four things that would basically cause the Gentiles to abandon their detestable pagan practices that made it so hard for them to fellowship with the Jews. So, so basically what James is saying and suggesting for the council to embrace and to pass on to the churches is this. The pagans have to stop becoming pagan, and the Jews have to stop putting their law on top of the Gentiles. We've got to be one new man in Jesus. So, I, I say that to you for this purpose. That when you follow Jesus, you have to give things up. You have to sacrifice things when you follow Jesus. What did, what did Jesus say? If anyone wants to, to follow me, you've got to like leave your mother and your father and don't take an, an extra cloak. And he said all these things that were very sacrificial. Some of us are trying to follow Jesus without sacrificing anything, and it's impossible because it's not Jesus you're following, it's yourself. When you follow Jesus, it requires sacrifice, and it's the thing that God is most desperate to do in our hearts. It's the way that He changes us when we see that Jesus came to us when we had nothing to give. That he, God gave us His best when we were at our worst. So, so the course correction for us is this. We must look to God and others before ourselves. When I, when I was a youth pastor, I preached this series to our students, and it it uh, was really helpful for them, and it, it was called this, I'm third. God's first, others are second, and I'm third. And I think that could be a mantra for our lives as the church. Anytime that we're thinking about others, the question is, what order do I rank myself in comparison to God and others? Now, Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says this, Paul writes this to the Philippian church, he says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That is a hard truth. So the way of Jesus is this, to count other people more significant than yourself. To think about other people as better than yourself. Not in a self-deprecating way, but to consider them more. To think about them more. To sacrifice more to consider others because God has considered you by sending Jesus. It says, let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I think I said this last week. We are our brother's keeper. That question that went for, back and forth between Cain and Abel, and they're trying to cover up their sin. We do belong to one another. And we do have a responsibility. It's to serve one another. And it's the greatest declaration that we can have to a lost and dying world that those people consider others better than themselves. Now we have loads of opportunities to do that even this week. And my prayer is that God would do that through us. So as I close, I just want you to consider these three drifts that we've talked about today. Specifically these three things. Do you, do you need to come back to grace? Have you lost your way trying to live the Christian life and bolting all of these things, all these requirements to the Christian life and oppressing others by making them live up to a standard in your mind that they can never live up to? Is that you? Or maybe you're in here and you need to come to grace for the first time. You're, you're, the, you're the desperate person that's looking for a way out. You, you, you know the chasm that exists between you and God and you're just wondering, is there any way? Is there any way I cannot get to the end of my life? Is there any way I can get to the end of my life and, and hear that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant? There is. It's through Jesus. Some of us need to respond to that message today. You never have before. You've been in church a lot. You've been in church none. doesn't matter. You need to respond through faith. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Others of you 
uh, us rather, because this is me too, uh, need to abandon our people pleasing at the foot of the cross. It's, it's getting us nowhere. It's not transforming our lives. It's holding us captive. We're in bondage because of that. What would it look like for you to abandon that comparison idol that leads to people pleasing? Or maybe lastly, you need to get realigned with a focus from self to others. You need to get back on God's mission. You've been derailed thinking about yourself for too long and God invites you back to consider what Jesus has done so that you can begin taking ten looks at Christ every time you think about yourself. Now, all of us are going to respond in different ways this morning. But the important thing is this, is that when we hear God's Word, um, we, we do one of two things. We either embrace it and the Holy Spirit transforms us, or we reject it and our hearts become hard. They become more hard than they were. So, my prayer is that you would embrace how, whatever God has spoke to you this morning through His Word. And I'm going I'm to pray for us now, so would you, would you bow with me? Father, uh, we, we come to You today as, as those that have been um, touched by Your Word today because You promised that Your Word doesn't return void and that Your Spirit has great power um, when Your Word is proclaimed and Lord, I know that you've, you've hit us all differently this morning. And Lord, my prayer uh, is that we would respond in faith to whatever you've called us to do today. So I just, I just want to pray for a second for those specifically in this room who aren't following Jesus today. Uh, I pray that the, the, the call of the gospel would be so sweet to your ears this morning that you would respond in faith. That you would respond in faith and you, you, would, you would say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Please bridge that gap. And if that's, if that's you this morning and, and you pray that and you consider that and you desire that, here's the deal. You need to tell somebody about that. It doesn't have to be me, but I'd love to celebrate with you and walk alongside you. So that you consider that. For those of you that are caught in this cycle of, um, of just self-absorption, I pray that the Holy Spirit would deliver you from the grip of the evil one in that. That He'd set your feet back on the solid rock of the gospel and you would be empowered to live on God's mission. So Father, we just ask that you would come in an abundant way this morning and that your Spirit would fill us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.